The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Folks, it's Sunday evening, Monday morning. And so as you all know, I took Saturday off, ladies and gentlemen, and I do apologize for that, but I ran a couple of great reruns. I actually put up uh, episode one our first episode and frankly i didn't want to listen to it because i know uh, that i've gotten better i'm not as good as i'm going to be a year from now but i've gotten better since the first episode we're 109 episodes in so i didn't listen to it but i figured there was a lot of new people starting to listen to this show i could see by the analytics so i figured what the hell we'll put out episode one and for those of you that don't know i try to keep these shows evergreen and they are about 99 percent evergreen i don't really do daily news i'm building this as a library of content for folks that want to learn about this technocracy that we are living under and the true history of our country and every episode i've done really lays that out we focus on that i'm not telling the story in a particular order yet i'm still working through all the different stories all the different pieces and eventually when we get three four five six hundred episodes in i may do a summary type documentary on everything we learn and kind of put the true history of this country together in fact today folks I was trying to clean up an old SoundCloud account where I was going to put some of the full episodes together to be able to send to some of my friends so that they can get the uh, free podcast in full form with no ads so I can kind of tease them into listening and then get them either to subscribe to pain.tv slash gold or uh, to listen on the free side to the chopped up segments. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I can't give this away for free to everyone. You either got to listen to the ads or you've got to join pain.tv slash gold uh, or you'll be able to subscribe to the ad-free RSS feed that we're working on now because I've got to be able to you know feed my wife and my child but i found a 30 minute clip of me from october 2021 when i was still driving around delivering uh for instacart doing the online gig work grocery shopping stuff and it was pretty amazing i was laying it out i think for maria albanese co-host of the thomas Paine podcast on fridays my feeling uh towards what was going on with covid land the high school theater production and how i could possibly lend my voice my knowledge my skill set to the world and i was going to basically create a multi-part documentary on the history of technocracy and how to survive it and thrive within it and i was saying to her i don't really want to do a podcast yet because i think we need to launch with a documentary it was frankly fascinating and i'm gonna actually upload it uh at some point i'm thinking somewhere maybe around christmas 
And so you guys will be able to hear what I was thinking about a year ago. So that would have been uh, about eight months before I actually started doing the Dust and Gold Standard podcast. I I've totally forgot about it. I just came across it. So anyway, I took yesterday off uh, because my uh, wife had sent me out. Yeah, you know, she was watching uh, Willie, and we got to kind of work around his schedule. So I had to run out in the morning to Farmer Carol's, that Sycamore Spring Farm. That's the community-supported agriculture farm that we joined in April. And I run out there usually every Saturday morning, even if I don't really need anything. It's just very peaceful. But I pick up organic eggs from her. Um, that she gets from the chickens there at her farm. And then also she has a couple neighboring organic farms she gets stuff from. And so I picked up some eggs and then I had a uh, basket. So we're out of the season now. Basically, we join at the beginning of the season in like March. And then we uh, would pick up a box every other week because it was only the two of us. And we'd have about you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 different items in that box, different vegetables, depending on, you know, what part of the season we're in. Obviously, in the summer, uh, you get more stuff because there's more vegetables growing. But then the season ended about, uh, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. But you can buy for, I think it's 30 dollars for a nine item basket or 55 dollars for a 18 item basket and basically she has a menu of stuff you just circle what you want you give her the order and then you pick it up the following week and it's really a value it comes out to like between three and three dollars and fifty cents an item and for instance one of the items i got was beets so she keeps the beets from her garden in her cooling room that she has out in this barn and she gave us, she, she cuts the tops off the beets, obviously, because the greens start to wilt over time. But the beets are still good. And it's sad because I love to cook beet greens. But she gave me a bag of like nine beets. That would have been literally about nine, ten, twelve dollars alone at the grocery store of organic beets. So it's really a value. And so I went there and it was the first time I introduced my sister who lives about 12 minutes from me. She lives in downtown Frederick. I live on the outskirts between the suburbs and the rural area of Frederick. And she wanted to meet Carol. My sister's kind of this hippie hippy-dippy type person, uh, really good-hearted. She's a social worker. She just finally got her license that's going to allow her to create her own practice after many, many years, folks, after, I don't know, 18 years of being in the social work uh, business. And so she wants to do some really creative stuff. And one of the ideas I had for her was to create some programs around Carol's Farm and basically bring these troubled kids down, autistic kids and stuff that she works with, and create internships at the farm. And so it was a fascinating conversation because Carol has uh, four kids. Uh, they're all grown up, but the one of them, he is autistic and he lives with her. So Carol has kind of built her farm and her business around being able to help her autistic son. And she's going to talk about this when she comes on the show. But every time I'm with Carol, I learn something totally new about her past. She goes back hundreds of years in this country. Her family owned all kinds of land. They were uh, not Amish, but very similar to the Amish. And when she got in her 30s and 40s, she really got into researching community service, uh, community supported agriculture. And back then there was no internet, so she used to go to the library. She read all kinds of books, and she happened to buy this uh, 10 acre piece of land 
uh, when she was in her mid-30s. She really wanted to do it. She just didn't. And when she turned 50, she said, that's it, Carol. You're going to build this farm. And so she turned the 10 acres into this community-supported agriculture farm. And now she leases about 55 acres across the street where she has cattle. She has another 60 acres that came uh, as an inheritance uh, from her family out in Virginia, about six hours away, that she always wanted to turn into a farm. And now she's turning 69 this year. She knows she's not going to be able to do that. So we had really in-depth conversation with her and my sister talking about program ideas. I was doing some research. Uh, my business mind kicked into gear about the possibility of helping my sister build out a farm that could turn into a counseling center. And so it may serve multiple purposes. So anyway, those conversations are in the works. I'll share more on that uh, when the time is right, when it's appropriate, because we're thinking creatively on how to pool resources and maybe be able to get some uh, some farmland uh, with the guidance of Carol. Carol is a character. You guys are going to love her. I do this impression of her. She loves it. She always tells these stories. So one of the things we got during thanksgiving was this blue hubbard squash it's a big big giant squash um i used to joke about uh my wife when she was still pregnant that she had a blue hubbard squash underneath her shirt uh, and i made um uh, roasted the blue hubbard squash and i turned it into uh like i froze it in cubes and then i had made a blue hubbard squash with uh like a uh uh, what kind of cheese i forget what kind of cheese i had put on top but it was really good and then i made a blue hubbard squash soup for thanksgiving my family loved it and then i made a modified version of it uh, a few days later it was like i perfected it and i like to take recipes and multiple recipes and combine them together try them out and then i go and i'll modify it and so this blue hubbard squash soup had like a maple syrup and a cayenne pepper and a little bit of lime really really good stuff so carol would have a story about her friends up in harper's ferry west virginia that grows the organic blue hubbard squash and she'll say oh oh that came from mikey and millie johansson they're the ones that grow the blue hubbard squash they've got 12 acres oh it's so amazing up there the history of the blue hubbard squash dustin it's so incredible and that's how she talks and she's the greatest storyteller so she'll be on this show soon i'm hoping in the next couple of weeks and we're actually planning out multiple episodes now so she's going to talk about her family's history in this country she is going to talk about her son's autism and the battle she had with the public indoctrination center school system she is going to talk about her research into CSAs and how she built up this farm, really inspiring story. And then she's going to get into farming in harmony with nature and her battles with corporate farms over the years. And she's going to give out some tips and some secrets. And I'm going to help her really pass on her legacy to all of you folks. And then hopefully she will stick in your mind and you'll tell people about her. And that's how I will contribute to helping a very fantastic, very energetic, very entertaining, very wise, very knowledgeable woman's soul live on. So when Carol is gone and uh leaves this world she will live on through the stories that you tell because she is just a 
such a fascinating person so i've got multiple episodes that we're planning and then in the spring when the farm gets up and running right now obviously it's winter so it's dying down she's still got sun chokes and some other things she grows all the way through january and now she's making um she makes a lot of jams and jellies that she sells in the off season so uh we'll be able to learn a lot from her in the spring i'll go down there and shoot a mini documentary around her farm and show her uh planting and getting uh, everything ready plus she breeds australian shepherd hounds there these incredible dogs uh beautiful dogs and so she does that it's just an amazing place and when you go there it's got a house that predates i believe the revolutionary war it's from like the 1600s i think and that's her main house out in the back she has a barn and outbuildings it's just an incredible place and it's a great place to escape to on saturday morning so i went there yesterday morning introduced my sister to farmer carol and then I had to run to the grocery store and pick up some stuff. I came home. I baked a lot of bread. And then I was getting together uh, this list of stuff I need for these Christmas baskets we're going to give out to some of our friends. That's going to include some of Carol's jellies, some bread I make. And then my wife's running to the Polish store about 40 minutes from here uh, next week. She's going to pick up some Polish candies uh, that we're going to put in the baskets as well so by the time i was sitting down and getting ready to record i said you know i don't know if i feel like talking about the international monetary fund and central bank digital currency today so i said i feel like hanging out my wife and my baby so that's what i did folks i decided to take it off and i put a little message out on twitter i put up a couple of rerun shows i figured i'd give you guys a chance to catch up because a lot of people have been reaching out to me saying it's very hard and difficult to stay on top of seven episodes a week and i apologize folks but when i'm cranking i'm in the mood i'm motivated that's what i'm doing seven episodes a week because there's just so many stories to tell so tonight there's a few things i want to cover and then we're going to get into this um, international monetary fund central bank digital currency piece and that's going to lead us into an april world government summit video we're going to watch not tonight probably tomorrow we need to review that because they're actually talking openly about a new world order something that all of us would have been called conspiracy theorists for mentioning in fact when you find the original video on youtube underneath is a fact check by youtube supplied by wikipedia that says a new world order and one world government is a conspiracy theory yet this is a panel discussion with world elites and the question they're asking of the panel is are we ready for a new world order <laughs> yeah it's right out in the open i watched it back in april 2022 when it came out folks uh and I, i've been saving it and then i remembered because i reran an interview i did with dan Golvach, good friend of mine uh yesterday i reran that and he brought it up so i said oh you know what this would be a good time to work it in because it ties into world bank imf um bank for international settlements and everything else we're doing here so when i get back a couple things before we get into that i want to show you a clip from a movie called no escape which came out in 2015 it ties right into this and then i want to introduce you to a book that my wife read almost 20 years ago when she was in college that actually was the book that convinced her not to take an internship at the world bank which she was going 
to do. As a European immigrant here going to college, she was drawn towards this idea as someone who liked to travel. She's been to 47 countries, including Poland, where she's from, and the United States, where we live now. She's been to 47 countries, and she had this idea. She wanted to save the world and help the world. And so when you're in college at American University, you get driven towards you know the World Bank and the United Nations, especially as an immigrant who speaks multiple languages. They try to suck you in. And so she almost interned for the World Bank, and then she read this book which convinced her not to do it so i want to share that with you and then uh, in the meantime i'm trying to hunt down the author because it looks like he's still alive and see if maybe we can get him on as a guest folks when i get back we'll talk about this movie no escape my name is dustin gold and i'm going to escape to a break this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, before we get into No Escape, let me just mention this too, right? So a bunch of you have reached out to me on Twitter, Pain.tv slash gold, a bunch of places, saying, hey, I was listening to the show, and I want to make that bread. So I sent a bunch of people the uh, modified bread recipe. Now, it's constantly changing, all right? Every single time I make a new loaf, which is about every day now, I'm just really experimenting with this stuff because it's cheap enough to do it. I mean, the biggest cost is running the electricity to turn the... uh, to turn the oven on but um i sent everybody the latest version of that i'll post that up at pain.tv slash gold it's good i've been making this everything bagel fresh garlic fresh parmesan cheese basil and oregano bread and i top it with a flaky salt uh those little black seeds that some people call them black sesame seeds and uh, some basil on the top of it. It's been really good. Today, I'm actually going to do a jalapeno cheddar bread. And so my mother, who got me started on this stuff, because she's always experimenting with recipes down at her house in Texas, just uh, got her new sourdough starter going because she stopped making sourdough bread for a while. So she's got that going. I've got one going now. And so she's going to be experimenting. And whenever she experiments, then she'll send me recipes. She'll say, hey, I modified this. This is really good. So we're going to be making some rye bread pumpernickel bread wheat breads she just sent me a uh, pizza dough recipe she has it's really good so she's been making a lot of pizza dough and then freezing it up and making these thin crust pizzas so anyways i experiment with this stuff i'll share it with you and uh, i told you yesterday or the day before i was going to start doing some research on being able to make this bread on a fire so you could cook the bread over hot coals inside your cast iron non-enameled dutch oven basically you bury it in the hot coals now in the end I don't think you're going to get the top as crusty because in the oven method, you take the lid off the Dutch oven and then the heat ends up surrounding the bread in the final 10 minutes of the cook, right? So it makes it nice and crispy. So I'm going to experiment with that, but I'm also looking at 
the possibility of building sort of an outdoor brick enclosure where I can cook a bunch of bread. Like I said, I'm trying to create an off-the-grid method. Now, I'm probably not going to do it where we live now, although I could do it here. Like, uh, there's no HOA or anything. But uh, we rent this. We don't own this. So I'm going to wait until we secure uh, a couple of acres, few acres out in West Virginia where I can build an outdoor oven that I can bake a lot of bread in and i also started doing research into storing the flour so i have some more reading to do but basically if you can vacuum pack the flour and then store it in a cool dry place like a little vegetable cellar type of situation i'm looking to do this without a freezer or refrigeration i want to be able to do it without electricity that's the whole point of this experiment and so if you vacuum pack it apparently you can store the bread flour up to 10 years. Now, don't take my word on this yet. I'm still doing research. So as I do more, I will share that with you. But my goal is to be able to buy, let's say, 10 years worth of flour if I only had to live off bread and be able to store that flour somewhere where I have my outdoor bread oven and be able to uh, survive off the grid if I had to. Not that I think I'm going to end up in that situation, but I figure, what the hell? We talk about solutions. We're talking about preparing for this, how to live half Amish, which is going to become more of the theme of the show as we move forward uh, in the coming year, 2023. So I'm going to share all this stuff with you guys as I figure it out, ladies and gentlemen. I think it would be... Uh, it would be something that you guys would appreciate, especially since I see how many people wrote me about the bread. And Maria Albanese, I think she's on her third loaf today. So she's over there cranking out the bread. And then my sister's coming over the house later today. It's Sunday. And I'm going to teach her how to make the bread. So see this? This is how you pass on people's legacy. It comes from my mom. My mom gives it to me. I modify it. I pass it on. And now there's like two, three dozen of you out there that have written me that are making bread now. So uh, I love it. I think it's fantastic, folks. And this isn't a food show, but I do love food, ladies and gentlemen. I do love food. So anyway, that's a positive thing. Now, let me show you this, because as we've been talking about the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, how they rose into power in 19, uh, 1944, about a year before the uh, World War II ended, and in 1930, the rise of the Bank for International Settlements, which is the bank for the World Banks. And then my wife brings up this book, which I'm going to show you uh, momentarily. And then Wide Awake Jim's sending me a bunch of stuff. And so as I pointed out, as we did the history, I mean the basic mainstream narrative history of the World Bank, IMF, and BIS, I told you, it's almost as if these situations, these wars, these catastrophes, uh, these financial collapses happen on purpose, and then the World Bank is waiting in the wings with a check. And they're like, hey, uh, we know that your country was destroyed in the war, but don't worry. We have a check for $15 billion to dig new water wells for you. You just have to give us your sovereignty, right? So it reminded me of this movie that I watched a while ago called No Escape. I just have the Wikipedia up here. No Escape, a 2015 film. It says, No Escape is a 2015 American action thriller film directed by John Eric Dowdle, who co-wrote the screenplay with his brother, Drew Dowdle. 
The film stars Owen Wilson, Lake Bell, and Pierce Brosnan and tells the story of an expat engineer trapped with his family in an unidentified country in Southeast Asia during a violent uprising. I mean, I remember watching this. It hit home. I mean, not that it's like a documentary or anything. I watched it for purely entertainment, but everything has a message in it, right? So it says here, the film was released on August 26, 2015 by the Weinstein Company. Yeah, that would be Harvey Weinstein. Doesn't mean he didn't put out good movies, folks. It had special sneak previews in the Philippines on August 16, 17, 2015, as well as multiple pre-screenings throughout the United States before its official release. Now, let me just explain to you the plot a bit, because I have to put this into context for you, all right, before I actually play the clip. It says, in an unidentified country in Southeast Asia, a prime minister closes a deal with a representative of Carl Diff, an American company specializing in water systems. After the representative leaves, a group of armed rebels initiate a coup d'etat and assassinate the prime minister. 17 hours earlier, Jack Dwyer, who's played by Owen Wilson, a new Cardiff employee, arrives in the country with his wife, Annie, that's Lake Bell, and their young daughters, Lucy and Brigel. Uh, at the airport, they run into a Briton named Hammond, and that's played by Pierce Brosnan, and his local friend nicknamed Kenny Rogers, who give the Dwyers a ride to their hotel. All right, you got that so far? So you got Owen Wilson. He's this engineer. He shows up in this uh, unknown Southeast Asia country, and he's there with his family. He moves there, and basically his job is he's going to help set up this new water system. And so Pierce Brosnan's there. He's a uh, Briton with his buddy who gives uh, Owen Wilson's family a ride to the hotel. All right? The next morning, Jack leaves the hotel to buy a newspaper and inadvertently finds finds himself in the middle of a confrontation between armed protesters and riot police. The two forces clash violently as Jack makes his escape and the protesters gain the upper hand. Jack witnesses rebels executing an American outside his hotel. A rebel soldier then spots Jack, forcing him to quickly climb a fire escape and enter the hotel through a window. The rebels break through the main hotel entrance and begin slaughtering the staff and guests. Yeah, it was not a typical Owen Wilson film, folks. Um, you know Owen Wilson more from comedies with other uh, co-stars like Vince Vaughn, which they do make a great team. All right, I will say Wedding Crashers uh, was hilarious. Uh, the Interns, that's where they work at Google. That was really funny. But uh, let's see. It says Jack makes it back to the room but learns that Lucy is downstairs in the swimming pool. He goes back down to get her just as the rebels force their way into the pool area, while Annie narrowly manages to keep the other rebels from entering their room. Jack returns. So his daughter's down at the pool, all right? So it says Jack returns with Lucy, that's his daughter, and they all make their way up to the roof to join the other surviving guests. Hundreds of rebels are gathered at the base of the hotel ch chanting blood for water 
and Jack learns the rebels are protesting foreign corporations' control of their water supply. Suddenly, a helicopter appears holding armed rebels who immediately open fire. The Dwyers run for cover as the helicopter becomes entangled in electrical wires and crashes. As another group of rebels breaks through the barricaded door onto the roof, Jack and his family jump onto the roof of another building next to the hotel. The Dwyers hide in the building until nightfall, but upon leaving, Jack is spotted by a looting rebel who attempts to call for help. Jack pins the man down and kills him. Annie finds a map of the city and they decide they need to make their way to the American embassy. They take clothes from the dead office workers to disguise themselves as locals and then make their way through the town on a stolen moped. Upon arriving at the embassy, they discover it has been overrun and seemingly deserted. A small group of rebels spots the family and they flee, taking shelter in a Buddhist shrine garden nearby. All right, let's continue, folks. I'm serious. There's a purpose to this. And uh, it's just it's an amazing clip from this film. All right, and it really, really, really does. It's it's like a meme scene of everything we've been talking about. It says the rebels enter the compound, and as Jack attempts to take one of their guns, Annie comes out of hiding to draw attention away from him. Jack tries to shoot the leader, Samming, but the gun is unloaded. The rebels then beat and restrain Jack as Salmon prepares to rape Annie. Hammond and Kenny arrive, okay, so that's Pierce Brosnan and his partner, and shoot most of the rebels, though Samming escapes. The two men then take the Dwyers to a nearby safe house. Hammond reveals he and Kenny secretly work on behalf of the British government. Now, I don't want to give this all away here. So what I'm going to do, folks, I'm going to come back from the break. We're going to play the clip. Then I will read the rest of this description. But I got to play you the clip because we're at the part. I gave away too much that they secretly work for the British government. Don't worry. We're going to hit this uh, clip, and I'm going to show you how this all ties in. I really want you to understand this because it's going to lead into the book that my wife read which is not connected to this movie. And then we'll continue our discussion here, analyzing the International Monetary Fund and these central bankers that just appear whenever there are problems. And right now we've been going through COVID land, the high school theater production, worldwide inflation, energy crisis, climate change, all of the problems that these people create in order to provoke the reactions and then offer the solutions. And the solutions create more problems, but further drive you into their technocratic prison planet system. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back right here on this system, the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.TV slash Gold. I want to thank everyone 
for tuning into the show and sharing it with your friends, ladies and gentlemen. Please leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts along with a comment and think about making a small donation to this show during this holiday season, ladies and gentlemen. I know times are tough. I know folks are out there just trying to make ends meet. But if you'd like to uh, help keep the lights on here, keep food on the table, you can do so at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. We'd appreciate that very much, folks, as we move forward into Christmas and then the new year. And I am currently putting my business plan together for the next year. And my business plan does not include selling out to uh, Joe Rogan or anyone else in the uh, so-called shill network. So we're going this alone, ladies and gentlemen. We're just going for this ride along with you. In the end, you support the show either by listening to the ads, um, through listening to sponsor ads, which we're hopefully going to be adding soon. Companies that I actually believe in personally, not just the free ads on the public side of the broadcast. And then subscriptions over to pain.tv slash gold and some of the other things we're going to be doing soon. Uh, merchandise which we don't have yet and eventually i'll add some t-shirts and hats and cool stuff uh with some logos and sayings that i've come up with and then uh through donations so you can go to donorbox.org slash dustin gold show all right let me pull up this clip for you from no escape ladies and gentlemen let's watch this uh now that you kind of understand the background of this story and then i'll finish up telling you the rest and i think you'll understand this is just a one segment here one segment or two segments showing how this system works how the world bank bis imf system works ladies and gentlemen all right so right here for those of you in the audio only audience we have pierce brosden with owen wilson and we're at this point that we just uh, talked about here. All right, so the two men then take the Dwyers to a nearby safe house. Hammond, that's Pierce Brosman, reveals he and Kenny, that's his sidekick, secretly work on behalf of the British government. So he's explaining this to Owen Wilson's character, Jack. All right, let's roll the clip. You're not just here for the girls, are you? No. Well, maybe a little. <laughs> the British CIA or something? Something like that. And Kenny? He's. Mm hmm. Thanks. No. No, thanks for coming along when you no, did. No, no, no. Don't thank me. I'm the one who started this shitstorm. What do you mean? Guys like me paved the way for guys like you to wind up here. They don't usually fight back. Most of the time, they don't even realize what we're doing. What? I, what do you mean? We have interests in this region. We? Our countries. The corporations who run them have interests here. So I show up all nice and friendly, offering to get them a loan to pay for our services, which we know they can't afford. Then we build them power plants, waterworks, freeways. It doesn't really matter. And when they can't repay us the debt, we own them. It's all a fuck job. The rebel leaders said we were trying to enslave their people by controlling the waterworks. And they were right. 
most of those merciless men out there, they're just trying to protect their children, just like you. So don't thank me. I'm the one who puts your family in harm's way. The least I can do is get you out of the bloody place. Okay, so this clip is very important. I That's why I did not interrupt folks i did not interrupt so you see what's going on there is that pierce brosnan's character hammond admits to jack and jack is this engineer uh for a company that's going to come in and help build this new water system and so he admits to jack that he basically works for british intelligence but he's saying our countries meaning england and the united states have corporate interests in these companies so we come in Uh, I'm sorry, in in these countries. So we come into these poor countries and we offer these people a uh, loan to help build their water systems and their electrical plants, basically turning them into technological technocracies. And we offer them this loan, which we know they can never repay. And when they can't repay it, then we take over their country. Now, in this clip, Pierce Brosnan's putting it from the perspective of corporations because hollywood leftist uh propaganda there's a lot of disinformation and misinformation in there now i'm not saying corporations aren't evil because uh i'm pretty sure we know they are at this point even conservatives that were told to blindly cheer on corporations back in the last run of conservatism 20 years ago uh when george w bush was in power we were told to cheer on corporations blindly and liberals hated corporations conservatives loved corporations corporations were people too i think we all know now corporations play an essential role in this so-called public-private partnership but at the end of the day the state is in power and so that's the little spin the mr direction here in this clip but it's very important so he's talking about how they come in with these corporate powers they offer them a loan they build up the infrastructure the uh, water system the electrical grids they can't repay and then they basically take over the country and he says the people really don't ever recognize what's going on and they very rarely revolt all right well what i'm saying here is let's just change up some of the terms let's say pierce brosnan is talking about how we come in through uh british and u.s intelligence on behalf of the world bank on behalf of the international monetary fund really on behalf of bank for international settlements which sits behind the world banks they are the bank for the world banks if you remember world bank and imf uh were founded in 1944 but bis was the bank for the central bank so the central banks really have the power so they come in as we saw in the timelines we reviewed in episode 108 which i took right off the websites of imf bis and world bank right i didn't go read some conspiracy site i took their timelines every single time there is a crisis in a country whether it be a financial crisis whether it be a so-called environmental crisis whether it be war uh the central banks are there either through the world bank or the imf to come in and offer money and with that money that country has to sell out their sovereignty either installing a central bank or putting in more infrastructure they give up their power 
their sovereignty, their freedom, their liberty, even if it's a country that you would say is socialist or communist or it doesn't align with our values of what freedom and liberty are, they're selling out all of that when they join in and take money from the World Bank and the central banks. Uh, and we have no idea uh, how much money is handed under the table to some of these dictators and these puppet politicians, not just in other countries, but right here in our own. So I think that is a very, very important clip, though. Just replace uh, corporations with central bankers. The other thing, which does not come into play in this movie, I do not believe, and it is my uh, opinion, and I think could be proved with further investigation, and other folks have talked about this, not only do they do exactly what we talked about, we actually create the problem. And when I say we, I, I mean the bankers, our government on behalf of the bankers, our military on behalf of the gov- uh, bankers. It's not just the United States is evil. You know, Don't think I'm just sitting here ragging on the United States. It's all one big system. It is a one-world government. And so they create the problems. They go start the wars they destroy the infrastructure of these countries uh, and then they come in and they offer the money in order to force them to become slaves of the central bankers that is quite obvious at this point and i think you can see that covid land the high school theater production this orchestrated inflation orchestrated disruption of the supply chains is all part of this new worldwide scam climate change we know through wide awake gym the climate hustle is all part of this as well they create these giant problems to then sell the solutions and the solutions lead us further into slavery let me just finish this wikipedia description in case you decide you want to check this movie out So we ended with the two men then take the Dwyers to a nearby safe house. Hammond reveals he and Kenny secretly work on behalf of the British government. That's what we just watched. It says Hammond, that's Pierce Brosnan, had been tasked with convincing poor governments to make expensive infrastructure deals with Western companies. Unable to repay their debts, the companies would then be able to control the poor governments, leaving the citizens to rebel in anger. Hammond tells Jack, that's Owen Wilson, they must get to the nearby river where they can sail downstream to the vietnamese border during the night the group is attacked by rebels from a nearby guard tower kenny is killed and hammond is severely wounded hammond then sacrifices himself to stop a rebel following them in a truck so the whole idea is that pierce brosnan's character he's like an mi6 type of guy a cia type of guy he ends up having a conscience and he uh sacrifices himself to get jack and his family out of there because he he feels responsible for creating the whole situation. It says near the riverbank, Annie hides, that's Jack's wife, hides with the children while Jack finds a fisherman and trades his watch and shoes for a boat. Sam Nang appears leading another small group. They capture Jack and prepare to execute him. Lucy runs to her father and Samson catches her. He puts a gun in her hands and another to her head, ordering her to kill Jack or he will kill her. It's a really crazy scene, folks. Before she can make a choice, Annie attacks the group, bludgeoning Samsung to death with an oar. Jack takes the gun from Lucy and kills the remaining rebels. And anyway, they end up escaping 
to the U.S. Embassy. So on one hand, they're showing these people as really brutal, but you have to take into context that these folks figured out that someone in their mind, like Jack, he's an engineer coming in on behalf of the U.S. government, the corporations, or in the end, really, the World Bank's there to hijack their country, to install infrastructure, put these people into poverty, and then steal their country. And then on top of it, we know in the real world, they end up becoming technocracies look at ukraine and we could eventually get into what we did there in 2014 there's plenty of information out there about that and then look at what we covered here on the show they are this big technological technocracy right now they're talking about it all the time they just launched their cbdc this is government videos they put out talking about their technological infrastructure and so now we have the whole russia ukraine thing concocted and to me to me folks it is all a show and i know many of you uh, sent me the clip of the russian arms dealer guy sitting there with uh what's her name i and they're speaking english on rt and he's talking about how he sympathizes with the rural people here in the united states that have lost their country folks it's propaganda it's i mean the message is designed to tug at your heartstrings it's designed to tug at red-blooded americans heartstrings and it would all be uh, fine and dandy if number one it wasn't on rt which is russia propaganda the same as when our government puts stuff out on fox news uh, or msnbc or cnn all propaganda and on top of it russia is a technocracy as well russia is part of this whole system putin recently called for a central bank digital currency an internet national cross-border central bank digital currency uh and at the same time ukraine is launching their cbdc pilot so folks if they're all on the same team there are no real enemies stop getting tricked into that everyone at this level is about introducing the false industrial revolution they're all on board with the prison planet folks let me escape this prison planet i'll be right back i want to just show you this book that my wife read that convinced her not to intern with the world bank almost 20 years ago i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ping.TV slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. I hope you're listening. (laughs) All right, folks, one other thing. I, uh, this afternoon on all the uh, podcast players, I actually posted episode 89. That was the story of my wife and my son and my journey into the Rockefeller Industrial Medical Complex. How we escaped that and walked out with our heads held high. And I put up the full episode. It just has uh, a couple of ads at the beginning and then in the middle. But it is the full episode. I did that because 
I have several people over here in my personal life that wanted to listen to it. And Apple Podcast, at least on my end, has been acting so weird where it's not playing when we break the segments up into part one, two, three, four. It's not playing in order anymore. I don't know what's going on. Uh, And eventually we have to work that out. But so I put that up so they could listen to it. But even though they're my friends and family, they still have to listen to a few of the ads, folks. So I put that out there. Feel free to listen to it. It is one of our highest listened to, most listened to shows. Uh, I think it's a great story. Uh, It was personal. It was from my heart. And we're going to talk a lot about that with the healing doc from Twitter, who's going to be coming on the show on January 4th to talk about a wide ranging group of topics, all the way from big farmers control over doctors to possibly terrain versus uh, germ theory. We're going to get into vaccines. We're going to get into patients' rights. We're going to get into allopathic versus natural medicine. So if you want to listen to that show, which the Healing Doc did, which is what kind of connected us, uh, I suggest you do so, folks. So it's up there in full, so you don't have to listen to it all broken up into four or five segments. You can listen to the whole thing. I put it out this afternoon, so feel free to uh, check that out when you get a chance. All right, so my wife comes over from Poland when she was uh, 18 or 19, so that would have been in uh, early 2000. And so she's going to American University. She's an au pair. She's working like two jobs. She's a super hard worker, folks, super hard. I got her upstairs right now. She is breastfeeding the baby while vacuuming and raking the leaves at the same time. I don't know how she does it. No, she's very smart, amazing, beautiful, loving, caring, sexy as hell. She is fantastic. I love you, Magdalena uh, Kohamche. And so she's just a wonderful woman. So anyway, she comes over here early 2000s. She's going to school for, I think, like geopolitics and stuff back then, maybe some immigration law. And she's about to intern. Uh, for the World Bank, and she reads this book, which I have the Wikipedia up on the screen, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and this was published in 2004, so she read it right around the time it came out, that's what she actually told me, so I looked it up, and I sent it over to Wide Awake Jim, who reads a lot of books, and he said, you know, that's sitting on my shelf, I heard it's fantastic, and I just haven't had a chance to read it, so I told him the story about how Maggie, um, read this and it convinced her not to work at the uh world bank and this is part this is what actually inspired me to go look up the clip from no escape because i said that reminds me of that movie i had watched a few years back so let me just introduce you to this because you might want to get this book i don't get any commissions or royalties or anything i just thought it would be interesting convent uh confessions of an economic hitman is a semi-autobiographical book written by John Perkins, first published in 2004. The book provides Perkins' account of his career with engineering consulting firm Chas T. Maine in Boston. Perkins claims that the NSA arranged for him to be hired by the firm and that he was subsequently seduced and trained as an, quote, economic hitman, end quote, by a mysterious businesswoman named Claudine. 
Perkins writes that his primary role at Chastity, Maine, was to convince leaders of underdeveloped countries to accept substantial development loans for large construction and engineering projects, thus tapping them in a system of American influence and control. The book was a commercial success, but critics expressed doubts about the accuracy of the claims Perkins made in Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Perkins was referred to as a conspiracy theorist, aren't we all, by one reviewer. While a number of former colleagues at Chastity, Maine, disputed or disagreed with some of his allegations. Several reviewers discussed a lack of documentation or verification for Perkins' claims. It says the book provides Perkins' account of his career with engineering consulting firm Chastity, Maine, in Boston. Perkins claims the involvement of the National Security Agency, the NSA, with whom he had interviewed for a job prior to joining Maine. It says, according to the author, this interview effectively constituted an independent screening that led to his subsequent hiring as an economic hitman by Eleanor Grieve, vice president of the firm, an alleged NSA liaison. Perkins claims that he was seduced and trained as an economic hitman by a mysterious businesswoman named Claudine who uses, uh, who used his NSA uh, personality profile to manipulate and control him. Does it sound like it's a stretch? <laughs> Not to me, folks. It says, according to Perkins, his job at the firm was to convince leaders of underdeveloped countries to accept substantial development loans for large construction and engineering projects ensuring that these projects were contracted to United States companies. Such loans provided political influence for the U.S. and access to natural resources for American companies, thus primarily helping local, uh, local elites and wealthy families rather than the poor. The book heavily criticizes United States foreign policy and the notion that, quote, all economic growth benefits humankind and that the greater the growth, the more widespread the benefits, end quote. I like this guy already. Perkins suggests that in many cases, only a small portion of the population benefits at the expense of the rest, pointing to, as an example, an increase in income equality, whereby large United States corporations exploit cheap labor and oil companies destroy local environments. Well, I mean, I would say it's hard to argue that that doesn't go on, folks. I mean, I think we have enough history to look at at this point that this happens. But I would also say that the United States and these corporations do this on behalf of the central bankers. I think that's fair to say. So if they don't actually get into this, which I know they do, because, uh, hold on, I believe it says it in here, but my wife told me that it actually ties in the World Bank. Perkins describes what he calls a system of corporatocracy and greed as the driving forces behind establishing the United States as a global empire, in which he took a role as an economic hitman to expand its influence. In this capacity, Perkins recounts his meetings with some prominent individuals, including Graham Greene and Omar Torios. Perkins describes the role of an economic hitman as follows. 
Econ- and this is from the book, economic hitmen are highly paid professionals who cheat countries around the globe out of trillions of dollars. They funnel money from the World Bank. There we go. The U.S. Agency for International Development, that's USAID, uh, will eventually do a show on USAID, and other foreign aid organizations into the coffers of huge corporations in the pockets of a few wealthy families who control the planet's natural resources. Their tools included fraudulent financial reports, rigged elections, payoffs, extortion, sex, and murder. They play a game as old as empire, but one that has taken on new and terrifying dimensions during this time of globalization. Wow. Now, I'm really going to try to get this guy on the show. I haven't done a background on him. I don't know what his story is, but I'm glad that they talk about funneling the money for the World Bank. So it's not just a disinformation, misinformation, misdirection book. They're actually talking about the truth here. It says, although the accuracy of the content has been questioned, the book did well in terms of sales, placing on the bestseller list of both the New York Times and Amazon. Columnist Sebastian Malaby of the Washington Post reacted sharply to Perkins' book, quote, this man is frothing conspiracy theorist, a uh, vainglorious peddler of nonsense, and yet this book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, is a runaway bestseller, end quote. Oh, so the Washington Post attacked him well i like him even more now malaby holds that perkins conception of international finance is quote largely a dream end quote and that his quote basic contentions are flat wrong end quote well i think with the 20 what's this uh written in 2004 we're in 2022 18 years later more and more has come out and now the imf the bis the world bank world economic forum and the rest of these folks talk about this stuff openly so i think this guy has been proven right It says, for instance, he points out that Indonesia reduced its infant mortality and illiteracy rates by two-thirds after economists persuaded its leaders to borrow money in 1970. He also disputes Perkins' claim that 51 of the top 100 world economies belong to companies. I don't know if they belong to companies, but they definitely belong to the World Bank. It says, uh, what, what do we have now? 190 countries under, was it under the World Bank? Um, we'll have to look back into that. It says other sources, including articles in the New York Times and Boston Magazine, as well as a press release issued by the U.S. Department of State, have referred to a lack of documentary or testimonial evidence to corroborate Perkins' claim that the NSA was involved in this, his hiring to Chast Maine. Oh, well, yeah, of course they're not going to admit that. In addition, the author of the DOS release states that the NSA is, quote, a cryptological code-making and code-breaking organization, not an economic organization, end quote, and that its missions do not involve, quote, anything remotely resembling placing economists of private companies in order to increase the debt of foreign countries, end quote. Economic historian uh, Nalayal Ferguson addresses some of Perkins' claims in the 2008 book, The Ascent of Money. Perkins contended that the leaders of Ecuador, President uh, Jaime Roldos Aguaria and Panama General Omar Tejorios were killed by the U.S. agents for opposing the interests of the owners of their country's foreign debt. Both men died in airplane crashes in 1981. According to Ferguson, Perkins' allegations, quote, seems a little odd, end quote. Ferguson notes how in the 1970s, the amount of money that the U.S. had lent to Ecuador and Panama accounted for less than 0.4% of the total U.S. grants and loans, while 
while in 1990, exports from the U.S. to those countries accounted for approximately 0.4% of total U.S. exports, approximately $8 billion. Ferguson contends those, quote, do not seem like figures worth killing for, end quote. Well, you wouldn't kill over $8 billion? Chastity Maine's former vice president, Einer Grieve, who first ordered Perkins a job at the firm, agreed that the foreign debt represented a poor economic strategy for developing nations. Basically, his story is true. What John's book says is there was a conspiracy to put all these countries on the hook, and what and that happened. Whether or not it was some sinister plot or not is up to interpretation, but many of these countries are still over the barrel and have never been able to repay their loans, right? So it says right there, Chaz T. Maine's former vice president, Einer Grieve, who first offered Perkins the job, agreed. That's what she said. However, Grief denied many aspects of Perkins' claims, such as the NSA having any links to Maine, or that Perkins was seduced by Claudine Martin, saying that he believes that Perkins has convinced himself that his story is accurate. Boston Magazine noted that Perkins can provide little documentation to support his claims of international intrigue, describing a largely unconvincing, quote, flimsy package of materials, end quote. A number of Perkins' former colleagues disagreed with his perspective on the company, and contradicted specific claims he made. Frank Fullerton, one of his supervisors, stated that Perkins left Chastity Maine because he, quote, thought he was worth more than he was, end quote. Well, this is actually quite interesting. It says here there was a documentary film made about this, it looks like, in Greece. But I'm going to definitely have to get this. I don't think my wife still has the book, but she said it was her favorite book that she ever read. So you know what? I'm going to order that for her, and we'll put that in her stocking for Christmas. It'll really surprise her, folks. She doesn't listen to the show religiously, so I know she won't hear this. But I would check that out, ladies and gentlemen. Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And I'm going to reach out to this John Perkins. It looks like he's still alive. And see if we can't get him on the Dust and Gold Standard because I would like to hear more about his story. Of course he's not going to be able to document and prove everything. What do you think the NSA and the World Bank, the IMF, the BIS are going to come out and say, oh, he's correct. Yep, he's correct. We go in there and we, oh, wait a second. They do admit it, folks. Go on their website and look at their history, their timeline of how they've taken over all these countries. They don't hide this stuff, ladies and gentlemen. This guy's story is probably 99% true. Uh, it's probably really based in fact. And now, since we know more, we can have a conversation with him and talk to him about his book, but bring it up to date because we're 18 years later. Uh, in time than when his book was published in 2004. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. We're going to talk about International Monetary Fund, Central Bank Digital Currencies for Financial Inclusion Risks and Rewards from October 2022, just a couple of months ago. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold right here 
I'm the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. Let me introduce you to this new cast of characters who are going to be featured in this International Monetary Fund discussion on CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, as we are dissecting this uh, future of money, ladies and gentlemen, a technocratic system of control, the systematic control over the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. We are watching it play out in real time, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about history. We're talking about the present and what is coming in the future. How you can avoid this, how you can live within it, how you can hopefully thrive within it, not just survive, uh, how you can maybe live one foot outside of it, whatever it may be, folks, whatever you choose is going to be your path. We're just helping you understand the true history, uh, truly what's going on present day behind the scenes. It's not behind the scenes because it's all out in the open. You can find all this, read all about it, watch it. But if you're watching mainstream TV or following your Facebook feed, you're not going to see this stuff. So it's happening behind the scenes because it's not being projected out into the forefront by mainstream media. All right. So the first character, Kristalina Georgieva, you know who she is if you listen to the last couple of episodes because she was a panelist at the World Economic Forum discussion on CBDCs in the middle of the year. I think it was April. All right. This took place in October just a couple of months ago. And for those of you who didn't listen, I will just give you a quick recap. This is Kristalina Georgieva Canova. And she is a Bulgarian economist serving as managing director of the International Monetary Fund since 2019. She was chief executive of the World Bank Group from 2017 to 2019. And she served as acting president of the World Bank Group from February 2019 to April 2019 following the resignation of Jim Yong Kim. She previously served as vice president of the European Commission under Jean-Claude Juncker from 2014 to 2016. All right, we could go into her whole background, but we're not going to do that. I just want you to know who she is. So this is Kristalina. We're going to do the same thing we did in the last show. We're going to refer to her as Chris. And so you guys, don't forget, she's powerful. She is the managing director of the International monetary fund so she is the md of the imf so we have chris all right next up you're going to hear a little bit of an opening statement from queen maxima of the netherlands folks she's really pushing central bank digital currency so she is queen of the netherlands as the wife of king willem alexander all right not willem defoe from uh, batman now this is willem alexander she is argentine by birth she worked in marketing when she met willem alexander eldest son and heir apparent of queen beatrix in 1999 they married in 2002 became king and queen on the abdication of her mother-in-law on april 30th 2013 maxima has promoted social integration of immigrants lgbt rights and financial 
inclusion and she's good at it because her background is in marketing she and willem alexander of three daughters princess katharina amelia alexia and ariane who are first second and third respectively in the line of succession so we're going to call her queen we're just going to call her queen all right so she is the queen and she's all about central bank digital currency next up we're going to have kathleen hayes kathleen hayes ends up moderating the discussion after chris the managing director of the imf introduces queen maxima okay so kathleen we will just call her kathy folks kathleen hayes is a global economics and policy editor for bloomberg television and radio covering economies and central banks around the world from the federal reserve and the european central bank to the bank of japan and the people's bank of china all right so kathy over here she's the moderator and she's with bloomberg all right and she covers banks. She loves the banks, ladies and gentlemen. All right, next up, this guy's really important here. You're going to see he's got a lot to say. And this guy's with the International Monetary Fund. His name is Bo Lee. That's B-O, and then his last name is L-I. So we're just going to call him Bo. And he is the deputy managing director of the IMF. Okay, so you've got... Chris is the managing director. He's the deputy managing director. And it says here, uh, now, I've seen this guy pop up in other people's videos. All right. So I just want you to know who he is. So I'm going to read his whole little bio here off of IMF.org. That's the International Monetary Fund website. And it says, Mr. Bo Lee assumed the role of deputy managing director at the IMF on August 23rd, 2021. He is responsible for the IMF's work on about 90 countries, as well as on a wide range of policy issues. Before joining the IMF, Mr. Lee worked for many years at the People's Bank of China. China! Unbelievable people. So cute, so ugly, so tiny, so beautiful. Uh, Most recently as deputy governor. So he was deputy governor of the People's Bank of China. He earlier headed the monetary policy, monetary policy two, and legal and regulation departments, where he played an important role in the reform of state-owned banks, the drafting of China's anti-money laundering law, the internationalization of the uh, renminbi, and the establishment of China's macro prudential policy framework. Outside the People's Bank of China, Mr. Bo Li served as vice mayor of Chongjing, China's largest municipality, with a population of over 30 million folks, where he oversaw the city's financial sector development, international trade, and foreign direct investment. Mr. Li was also vice chairman of the All-China Federation Returned Overseas Chinese. All China Federation of Returned Overseas Chinese. That was the, he was the vice chairman of that. He started his career at the New York law firm of Davis, Polk, and Wardwell, where he was a practicing attorney for five years. Mr. Lee holds a PhD from Stanford University, home of Peter Thiel, and MA from Boston University, both in economics as well as a JD magna cum laude from Harvard Law School. 
He received his undergraduate education from Remnant University of China in Beijing. All right, so this is Bo Lee. We're going to call him Bo. Next up, we have another one here over at BIS.org. This is Bank for International Settlements. And this is Cecilia Skingsley, appointed as head of the BIS Innovation Hub. And you folks will remember the BIS Innovation Hub. They were overseeing the project Embridge, which was the first project that was put together to test uh, sort of cross borders in cooperation with Thailand, uh, with the governor of Thailand, uh, uh, the governor of the Thailand uh, Bank that we saw in the WEF, the World Economic Forum video, along with China. So Cecilia Kingsley, and we're going to call her Sessie. Uh, We'll just call her Ceci. And so she is the head of BIS Innovation Hub. I'm just jotting notes down here, folks. But what happens sometimes, you go to review these videos for the folks. I've seen other people do it. And then they never explain who all the characters are, all the people they're listening to. And I'm guilty of that. So I decided I'm going to start doing this. It's part of my practice now to uh, introduce you to the characters before we actually start. And so it says, uh, Cecilia Kingsley, she is the first deputy governor of Severgi's Riksbank, appointed to head the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. Ms. Kingsley will lead the Innovation Hub in its mission to foster international collaboration among central banks on innovative financial technology. And we will call that central bank digital currency, folks. Goes on to say she will spearhead the Innovation Hub's efforts to build technological solutions to problems in the financial sector in such areas as central bank digital currencies, cybersecurity, and green finance. All right. So the board of directors of the Bank for International Settlements has appointed Cecilia Skinsley as head of the BIS Innovation Hub. She will lead the Innovation Hub in its mission to foster international collaboration among central banks on innovative financial technology. Currently, first deputy director of, we went over that, the bank, it's the Swedish Central Bank. Okay, so she was the first deputy governor of the Swedish Central Bank. Will join the BIS on September 14th for a five-year term. As head of the BIS Innovation Hub, she will be a member of the executive committee of the Bank for International Settlements. So I'm not going to go through all of her background here, folks, but as you can see, she is very powerful. We are dealing with the actual power players, folks. The power players. I mean, the bigwigs, the ones who are making the decisions, building the systems on behalf of whoever sits behind them. I don't know. Maybe the Rockefellers. But anyway, the central banks are powerful enough, ladies and gentlemen. The World Bank, BIS, and IMF make the world go round with their uh, fake fiat money, whether in the form of paper currency, coins, or the new up-and-coming digital tokens ladies and gentlemen there's two more characters that i'll introduce you to shortly we will be right back from this quick break folks go bake yourself a loaf of no need bread my name is dustin gold and i no need to be on air right now because i need a short break this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard 
Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. I love untangling the masters of the universe, folks, the people behind this technocracy, this worldwide technique, folks. And they are advancing quickly. All right, next up on the roster here in this International Monetary Fund discussion on central bank digital currencies, we have Vera Songwe. All right, we're going to just call her Vera. It's V-E-R-A, Vera Songwe. She's an economist and banking executive from Cameroon who has worked for the World Bank since 1998 and in 2015 became Western and Central Africa's regional director for the International Finance Corporation. She is the first woman to head the UN's Economic Commission for Africa at the level of Undersecretary General. So, Again here, folks, we have her coming out of the World Bank, the uh, IFC. We haven't gotten into the uh, that yet, but that's the International Finance Corporation and uh, the UN, ladies and gentlemen. So another power player here. It says, Songwe holds a PhD in mathematical economics from the Center for Operations Research and Econometrics and a Master of Arts in Law and Economics. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she's got economic science and politics from the Universita Catholica de Louvain in Belgium. She has a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics and political science from the University of Michigan. And so Song Wee started off working for the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis and simultaneously had a visiting professor's appointment at the University of Southern California in 1998, she joined the World Bank, where she worked in the Poverty Reduction and Economic Management Unit covering Morocco and Tunisia. See, my wife could have been doing that right now, folks. Over the subsequent years, she filed several, uh, filled several roles in the PREM, that's the Poverty Reduction and Economic Management Unit for East Asia and the Pacific region. In 2010, Songwe was part of the World Bank Group team that raised a historic $49.3 billion in concessional financing for the low-income countries of the world as part of the International Development Association, 16th Replenishment. Isn't that what we just talked about there with uh, Economic Hitman or with the movie No Escape? That's it, folks. There you go. They raised $49.3 billion for these low-income countries. And so she goes on in her career, 2011 to 2015, she's regional director Africa, covering the West and Central Africa for the International Finance Corporation and country director for Senegal, Cape Verde, the Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, and uh, Maritania. Main areas of interest are fiscal policy, innovative financing mechanisms for development, agriculture, energy, and economic governance. So she's one of these economic uh, hit women, I guess it would be an economic hit women. In 2011, she's got an interesting bio here. So Songwe was involved in Africa 2.0, an initiative to bring young Africans together to aid in the continent's economic development. 
She's a scholar at Brookings Institution and its Africa Growth Initiative. Forbes listed her in 2013 as one of the 20 young power women in Africa. And the following year, the Institute uh, Chassel for International Politics and Geoeconomics chose her as one of their African leaders of tomorrow. In 2015, she collaborated with the newly founded Tony Elamu Entrepreneurship Program, which pledged $100 million for African startup companies. And there's more here, folks. There's more in this. Was she a Nobel laureate in economics, architects, chefs, leaders of the international organization? I mean, there's so much stuff here. Anyway, it just goes to show you she's a power player. I'm showing you behind the curtain here of the panel discussion. I mean, you'll hear the uh, host, Kathy, from uh, Bloomberg, you know, mention these people, but you won't know their whole stories. I think you have to know their stories. Uh, You want to talk about, let's point out the individuals and not focus on the groups. Well, these are the individuals. These are the people that are making policy at the world stage. And we think we have a chance to beat them by whether or not we elect Dr. Oz or that cyborg freak-looking dude, Fetterman. I mean, we think that election changes all of this. Folks, these are the power players. All right, let's continue. Uh, last one here. We have Perry uh, Warzio. And this guy is the current governor of Bank of Indonesia, Indonesia's central bank. All right, so now you've got Perry. We're going to just call him Perry. All right, and he's Bank of Indonesia. And so uh, his nomination for the post of governor was approved by the Indonesian parliament on March 28, 2018. He was sworn into office on March 24th, succeeding the previous governor, Agus Martawajo. It says here, Perry has over 30 years of experience working on central bank policy issues in Indonesia. He has been described as a central banker who is, quote, as battle-tested as monetary policies get, end quote. His appointment reflects the practice in Indonesia of frequently appointing professionals with strong economic and policy-making experience, often referred to as, I'm telling you, this is on Wikipedia, often referred to as technocrats to senior economic posts in government. So, at least Wikipedia, they get it right, ladies and gentlemen. I'll just tell you a little more. It says Perry uh, Warja was born in Sukaharo, a town in central Java, south of the larger city of Surakarta. He attended primary and secondary school in Sukaharo before studying at Gaja Mata University in Yagakarta. He graduated from the economics faculty at Gajamata University in 1982 and later undertook studies at the Iowa State University in the United States. He graduated in economics at Iowa State University, specializing in monetary policies and international finance with a master's degree in 1989 and a Ph.D. in 1991. See how they come over here. They all go to college, and then they go back into their countries, and they rule on behalf of the World Bank. So that's basically what my wife would have done, probably. If she had followed the path, if she didn't read Economic Hitman back in 2004, she probably would have interned at the World Bank, worked her way up. She would have went back over to Poland and helped uh, destroy it. Now, it's being done right now. But she's not part of it. So I love her even more for that, that she's not part of the system of destruction 
the system of systematic control, the system of technocracy. Let's just look at his um, work in government real quick. Again, because when you see these guys or you listen to them, sometimes you don't realize how powerful they are. You go, what a goofball. Well, he's a goofball, but he's a goofball that wields power. It's like Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and Ray Kurzweil, Dennis Bushnell, all these other characters we've talked about on the show. They might be goofy, they might be crazy, they might be psychopaths, but they wield power and influence and they have wealth. So they're dangerous. And many of them probably believe they're doing the right thing, which makes them even more dangerous. It says in 1984, he joined the Bank of Indonesia as a junior staff member. In 1992, officer staff of the governor served as staff to governors Andreas Moy and a long name I can't pronounce. In 1995, he was the head of balance of payments section. 97, head of monetary policy and analysis section. 98, head of bureau of the governor. 2000, Deputy Director for Economic Research and Monetary Policy, 2003 Director, Center for Education and Study of Central Bank Issues, 2005 Director for Economic Research and Monetary Policy, 2007 you have Executive Director, International Monetary Fund, Washington, representing the Southeast Asian Voting Group a constituency including 13 countries in Southeast Asia. So see that? We have him now. In 2007, he was executive director of the International Monetary Fund. So let's add that to his bio we have over here. And in 2013, he becomes deputy governor of Bank of Indonesia. So that's all we need to get into here on Perry. So let's just go through our list so you guys know. We have Chris. She is the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. She's going to open up this panel discussion. She's going to invite the queen up. That's Queen Maxima. She's all about central bank digital currencies. You have Kathy, who is the moderator from Bloomberg, covers central banks, Federal Reserve, et cetera, et cetera. You've got Bo here. That's Bo Lee. He is the Deputy Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. You have Ceci, who is the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub that's uh, building out all the central bank digital currency uh, platforms, et cetera, in cooperation with groups like Consensus, which we've covered here, uh, built on top of Ethereum, which we've covered here at the Dust and Gold Standard. Then you have Vera, who is from the World Bank, uh, IFC, and the United Nations. And then you have Barry, who is the head of the Bank of Indonesia and work for the International Monetary Fund. So again, it's going to be Chris, Queen, Kathy, Bo, Cece, and Vera. That's going to be our panel of uh, worldwide authoritarian bankers here, ladies and gentlemen. These are the folks that represent the folks that make the world go round, folks. The world bank go round is what we should say. You know, money makes the world go round. Well, these are the folks that make the money go around that makes the world go around. And so this is why it's important that we have to review this stuff at the dust and gold standard. And don't worry, I've got a lot of topics coming up. We've got a couple of more panel discussions to cover here, and then we're going to end our discussion on central bank digital currency until Wide Awake Jim comes back on. We have all of his documents and all of his research. He is on a business trip. Uh, He was on it, I think, about a week ago. He's on it for one more week. And then he will be back to go through the rest of his research, and we're going to tie that in with everything we've done 
over here, folks. And so in between, uh, when I finish up CBDCs and Jim comes back on, I've got a few interviews I'm lining up, and then I'm going to get into some more uh, transhumanist stuff that I've been following. And there's a lot to cover here, ladies and gentlemen, a lot to cover. It never ends as we dissect the worldwide technocracy that we currently live in and that we are moving further into every single day folks i'll be right back this is dust and gold with the dust and gold standard we're going to cover international monetary fund right here at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Sunday evening, Monday morning, ladies and gentlemen. And I noticed, I think it was on Friday, there was a little dip in the listenership, and I think it's because people are running around doing Christmas things. Now, I had a discussion uh, with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, and I think, I think Mike Moore has mentioned it publicly, but he might take a little time off during the holidays, throw up some reruns, maybe do a short show here and there. He deserves it, folks. He's been going nonstop for almost three years with his podcast. And I don't know, what's it been? Holy crap, five, six years, seven years, something since he launched True Pundit, the site that kicked off his podcast. But over here at the Dustin Gold Center, as far as I know, folks, because we're not going to travel this year for Christmas because Willie G just won't appreciate it. And every 17 seconds, we'll have to stop to either breastfeed him or change his diaper. So that's not going to work. So we're going to stay here with my wife and my mother-in-law. And then on Christmas Eve, they're actually going to cook a traditional Polish dinner, ladies and gentlemen. Polish Catholic. There won't be any meat, which uh, I don't like because I'm a meat eater, ladies and gentlemen. But then on Christmas uh, Day, as my sister invited us over to their house for Christmas Eve, they're having my brother-in-law's parents over. Uh, and unfortunately, they already made plans to cook the Polish dinner. So we're going to stay in for Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas, I'm going to cook uh, some steaks. I'm going to do a lobster mac and cheese. We're going to do a uh, mozzarella basil tomato salad. I'm going to make some fresh bread. My mother-in-law is going to make a traditional Polish cake. My wife's working on hors d'oeuvres. My sister's going to bring some salads. So we're going to do a little Christmas gathering here. My mom and stepfather live in uh, Texas. My father lives in Connecticut. They came here for Thanksgiving, so they're not going to come and visit. So uh, I'm going to keep cranking out episodes. So if you guys are bored, uh, you get through all of Mike Moore's reruns and you want to check something out. We're going to keep pumping out new information. I'm going to try to work a lot of interviews in there. I may experiment with doing a call-in show over the next couple of weeks, maybe during uh, between Christmas and New Year's. But I figure what the heck, we're still newer. We have to work hard. We've got to keep the uh, new content just coming out, ladies and gentlemen, and try to grow this show so we can make it a success in 2023 we're number 17 in ireland uh, i'd like to get to at least number 16 
All right, folks, enough of the chit-chat. Enough of the chit-chat. Let's get to this International Monetary Fund. Central Bank Digital Currencies for Financial Inclusion, Risks, and Rewards. And this is from October 14th, 2022. So let's jump right into this. For those of you at the video audience over at pain.tv slash gold, you're going to be able to watch the video. For those of you in the audio-only audience on the free side of the podcast, what are you waiting for? Join pain.tv slash gold. It's a great value, folks. You're going to get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as the Thomas Paine podcast, and you're going to be able to download the app or log into the website. It works like Facebook, but it's not built on Facebook. It's uh, totally separate from any other social media companies, all right? So you can meet like-minded folks who are fans of this show and the Thomas Paine podcast. You could join groups, start groups, educate each other, learn from each other, share recipes, gardening tips, everything else. It's a pretty active community of a couple thousand people. So feel free to check it out. And then uh, treat yourself. This Christmas, you can buy the basic or you can buy the uh, hot wire which is Mike Moore's highest level of intelligence. People love it, folks. Believe it or not, over 50% of the folks join the hot wire. So check that out, and then it helps us out for Christmas because it puts a little bit of food on our table, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody has to pay for that uh, lobster I have to buy to break up and throw into the lobster mac and cheese. Luckily, lobster this year is a lot cheaper than it has been. I, it's not cheap, but thirteen ninety nine a pound, so I can get one bigger lobster for like $25. I could swing that. Everybody's kicking in. My wife, my mother-in-law, my sister, my brother-in-law, everybody's going to throw in some money for the Christmas dinner. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. So up on the stage, we have Chris. Remember, she is the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. She's going to kick off the conversation, ladies and gentlemen. Joining me happily to say we are so excited to have you. Uh, it is really a happy moment for us uh, to welcome Her Majesty Queen Maxima, who has spared no effort to be a champion for financial inclusion, especially financial inclusion of women. Uh, she is uh, uh, a special advocate for inclusive finance for development for the Secretary General. By the way, he is also here at the World Bank right now. Uh, and uh, she has used her incredible star power to improve the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It gives me tremendous pleasure to give the floor to Her Majesty Queen Maxima uh, to talk to us as she always does with incredible clarity about the um, CBDCs and financial inclusion. What are the risks? What are the rewards? Ladies and gentlemen of the IMF and guests, Please welcome Queen Maxima. All right, so Chris invites Queen Maxima up to speak. 
She says she is a woman of great clarity, unlike Chris, as you can see. And as you may have noticed during the World Economic Forum panel discussion on CBDCs. And so Queen is going to come up here. I told you she's a big proponent of the central bank digital currency. So let's listen to her speak uh, because she opens up this panel discussion. And then you're going to see all the other characters, Kathy, Bo, Ceci, Vera, and Perry, uh, talk about central bank digital currencies. A lot of important information. I mean, whenever I'm watching these, I feel like I'm sitting there in the middle of a uh, star chamber of these high-ranking folks. They come out there. They're all millionaires, billionaires and stuff, talking about how much they love us, and they're going to include us in all of their new schemes and scams. You'll see in the World Government Conference we're going to air in a couple episodes from now the way that these guys try to make it seem like they're building a decentralized government for us (laughs) to give us more power. Right, right. The guys in power are going to give us their power. I don't think so, ladies and gentlemen. So she's going to come up here. And I, I think I want you to think about these guys. I mean, these are technocrats. A lot of these people, I've read stuff on them. They support transhumanist elements. And so whether they know they are or not, they support this stuff. They fund this type of research. They fund Frankenstein experiments. But the book that that guy wrote that my wife read was called Economic Hitman. And he said he was this sort of unwitting economic hitman. I want you to think of these people as economic terrorists. These are economic terrorists. All right. They sit out there at the top of the food chain. I mean, the top of the public food chain. Right. This is what we're allowed to see. But this is not the WWE Republican versus Democrat stuff on TV. These are the world bankers, the central bankers. They get together. They have these committees. They have these discussions. They're the ones building the technologies. They're the ones setting the policies. They're the ones funding the wars, funding the financial collapses, sending in their bankers to seal the deal and take over territories and countries and natural resources. These are the economic terrorists. Now, who they work for? I mean, who's behind the scenes at the IMF, the World Bank, and the BIS? I mean, ask Wide Awake Jim. He would tell you it's the Rockefellers. There's people that think it's the Rothschilds. People think it's the Illuminati. Whatever that may be. I mean, we can dig deeper and deeper into this stuff. But right now, at least the puppets that sit out there in front of us, these are the people that are higher ranking than any of the elected officials here in the United States, including the President of the United States. These are the people that are building the technocratic infrastructure so please think of these people as economic terrorists that's what they are all right here we go let's bring up the queen well with such an introduction i hope i do not uh, um, say something that is not uh, up below your expectations, Kristalina. Thank you so much for having me here, because it is a pleasure to be back with you in person at this year's annual meeting, finally in person. These are difficult times for people everywhere, and we're all seeking new ways to tackle the challenges before us, from COVID to conflict to inflation to climate change. Okay, okay, so just pause there for a minute, folks. So we're tackling all these problems. COVID land, the high school theater production, inflation, and climate change. All 100% orchestrated at the highest levels 
of international government. Would you not say that is true? COVID land, the high school theater production, whether COVID the cold, COVID the flu is real or not, we know that it was planned ahead of time. We know that the response to it was planned ahead of time. We know that it was completely orchestrated across all levels. All right, including the mRNA jab, which we know was not something that was cooked up in a couple of months and put out there. They've been working on it for years. So you have COVID land, the high school theater production orchestrated, right? You have World Economic Forum and the rest of these folks already knew this was coming long ago. Then you have what she says, inflation. Inflation is created by the central banks, all right? Completely orchestrated. And then you have the climate change hustle she talks about all fake a complete fake industry wide awake jim has blown them out of the water fake all the way from the fact that co2 pollution is a lie even the folks at the united nations that write about this stuff admit it buried in their thousands of pages of documents they admit it and then the whole industry is a giant grift it just creates buy-in from all these grifters to get them on board with pushing forward the marketing behind the grift and so they can use climate change to take over countries to come in and build infrastructure as an excuse to give them loans and steal their resources to then push forward with all kinds of nonsensical stuff that creates problems and then eventually leads us into a carbon-based central bank digital currency system which really comes out of technocracy incorporated back in 1933 to 1938 their energy certificate which we've reviewed in depth on this show so i'm not going to go talk about it right now Let's go back to the Queen, ladies and gentlemen, talking about the orchestrated problems by the central bankers that lead us into the solutions, which is just more, more technological, technocratic prison planet control. These are the economic terrorists that allow the technocrats to continue to further advance and build this matrix prison planet around us. You know what, folks? Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll play the queen straight through. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. And folks, we are going to return right here to the Queen, Queen Maxima. At the International Monetary Fund October 14, 2022 Conference on Central Bank Digital Currencies. All hail the Queen! In that context, the rise of inclusive finance offers a genuine good news story. Finally, some good news. Over the last decade, a quarter of the world's adult population has gained access to financial services. Today, 76% of adults globally are now in some way financially included. Okay, so you're going to see this is a running theme. 
This is a lie. This is part of the grift. This is part of the marketing campaign, part of the adoption, right? So everything that they're going to talk about, you're going to just, you're going to see this and you have seen it through discussions that we've done on central bank digital currencies over the last 10 episodes. They talk about financial inclusion. All right. And the idea behind this, ladies and gentlemen, is that there are certain people who are unbanked or underbanked. And they've been using this scheme for many years. I'm not going to get into it uh, in depth right now. But you're supposed to believe there is a guy under a bridge who lives in a cardboard box who cannot have a bank account, who wants one, and his life will be better because he can have one. Now, I'm going to be able to show you the numbers coming out of the banking industry here in the United States on how many people are actually unbanked and how many people don't want to be banked. That information is actually published because they don't trust the banks. So there are people like, say, me and you, if we figured out how to live without being connected to the banks, they would call us unbanked and then say they're going to bring us a system of central bank digital currency in order to bank us. And now we're going to be included, you know, because the wealthy people are philanthropists that love us and our lives will get better if we could put our money in a bank and allow them to monitor us and decide what we could buy and not buy and then charge us transaction fees uh, and charge us every time we're moving and transferring money around yeah that that's a good thing so this is going to be one of their running scams you're going to hear it over and over again the unbanked and the underbanked and then people that are generally good natured but they're not that smart not that educated not well researched they'll sit there and watch something like this or a clip on on uh, social media and they'll go oh my god this queen she is amazing She is trying to help the guy who lives under the bridge in a cardboard box get a bank account at Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Chase. Oh, that's so amazing because his life will be so much better when he has a bank account and a debit card. Now, I'm telling you, folks, and what is the fascination with people loving the royalty, the kings and the queens. I know so many people in my personal life, they love to watch, what is it, Meghan and Harry. You know, they can make a documentary on Prince Charles, you know, playing backgammon uh, in the back of the palace. People think that's so awesome. Oh, the royal family. Oh, the royal wedding is on. The royal. Oh, you mean the people who actually rule over other people and they could bring them out into a town square and just kill them if they don't like them? Oh, yes, let's worship these people. Oh, look at the queen's dress. Oh, that's a $74,000 dress and a $29,000 watch she's wearing. Oh, it's so gorgeous. I don't know what people's fascination is with worshiping these authoritarian overlords. Folks, get over it. Queen Maxima, give me a break. I mean, even that, what's, what's her name? The one that uh, Michael Jackson supposedly had a relationship with, Princess Diana. I think people still, they, people watch documentaries and movies on this nonsense. I mean, these people are part of royalty. They are the haves, you're the have-nots. They're the people who put their boot on your neck. I mean, who gives a crap about these people? I don't understand it myself. But uh, let's get back to the queen, ladies and gentlemen. This has provided billions of people with new opportunities to build resilience, weather shocks, and invest in a more prosperous future. Today, we're here to discuss a potential new tool that many see as an opportunity to increase inclusion even further. 
Now, 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 this is the scam there. So she's talking about all these people that were unbanked or underbanked. And now they'll have an opportunity to invest in their future. But then she's going to roll right into central bank digital currencies. That if that becomes the main form of payment, right, payment from your boss to you or your client to you and then you to the store or you to the e-commerce website, there will be no ability to build wealth because it's expirable. It goes right back to Technocracy Incorporated's energy certificate. No ability to build wealth. So you won't be able to invest in anything. It's a total scam. They send the queen out there to sell this nonsense to people. And they send her out to Africa for photo ops. And she goes, oh, look at this little kid in this African village who lives in a mud hut who has 14 rings around his neck and a giant plate in his lip and a loincloth. And underneath, he has his uh, pecker wrapped up with a corn stalk. And she goes, look, we just got him a smartphone. And he's able to now have an account at uh, Credit Suisse. Oh, we saved the world. We introduced him to materialism and consumerism. But now that he knows what money is, he's poor. He's in poverty because he doesn't have the money to be able to build the credit, to go out and get a $934 a month payment a loan on a BMW. See, he's poor. When before, the kid was doing just fine. Right, he was scratching some mosquitoes off his back, drinking some river water, and uh, eating grubs. He was doing great. Then you introduce him to a Disney Channel backpack and uh, Grand Theft Auto on his uh, smartphone, and now you say he's in poverty. So we have to come in, and now to get him out of poverty, we have to build a technological prison planet technocracy around him, and that will help him rise out of poverty when in fact they're making him a slave to the system for all of eternity all right enough about that folks back to the queen central banks around the world are considering whether to issue their own digital currencies or cbdc's and are eager to understand the opportunities and risks that they might bring if designed and implemented with inclusion in mind CBDCs could offer many options to expand access to the underbanked and to serve the vulnerable and the poor. Okay, pause there. I'm sorry, this is just rich, rich with propaganda. So she says right there, if it's designed, if central bank digital currency system is designed with inclusion in mind, all right, then it can serve the unbanked, the underbanked, and all these poor people. When they say if it's designed with inclusion in mind, what she's talking about is if there's a central bank digital currency, how can they get all the people that live in mud huts in Africa and South America and rural places right here in the United States, how can they make sure that they have some sort of a visa card or some sort of a smart device or some sort of a rice-sized chip implanted in their hand, which is real and not conspiracy theory. They're already doing it. So I don't want to hear people say we talk about conspiracy theories. I only cover stuff that's in the news. I only cover their white papers, their speeches. I give my opinion at times, but it is all built off of the information that they publish. Publicly sourced intelligence. 
Okay, open intelligence. So she's saying if they build this with inclusion in mind, what she means is that they need to be able to make sure that everyone, including in a mud hut village, is able to have a device in their hand so they can trade the currency back and forth, right? Imagine being someone in an African village who never even held a paper fiat dollar in their hand. You just trade back and forth with pine cones or with dried up bugs. I don't know what they use. And next thing you know, they're going to walk up and hand you a smart device or come up there with a gun and inject a rice-sized chip into your hand, and you're trading CBDC back and forth. That's what inclusion means. They want to have close to 100% of the people on this planet banking within this system. Otherwise, there's pockets of people they can't control. And the bankers are all about power and are all about control. It's not about money. Money is the means of control. See, if they're the ones printing the dollars on an old Heidelberg printing press, or they're the ones minting these digital tokens in cyberspace, they control the money. As long as we have faith in the money, meaning we're willing to accept the money, then the money is real. It's only real because we accept it from each other. Then they can say they're worth whatever they want. They can say they're worth 20 quadrillion digital tokens because we accept the money, meaning they could come into your store and spend 20 quadrillion tokens, and as long as you take it, they were worth 20 quadrillion tokens. They make the money, so the money means nothing to them. The money is a system of control for them, and as long as the 99% that have no clue what's going on accept the money, the 1% will always be wealthy. They're trying to put into place a tighter system of control and power over the people that's what they're building with central bank digital currency this is the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of digital uh, the distri- yeah, digital goods and services the distribution of goods and services that's what this is folks down to the the tiniest transaction when you go buy uh, a little cardboard container of of little tomatoes at the farm stand they want to be able to control that they want to be able to know about that that's what this is let's continue with the queen but they also pose new challenges and risks which will require sound approaches to overcome so i am encouraged that we are doing our homework and proceeding with a certain caution financial inclusion often starts but does not end with the ability to make and receive payments. As we know, traditional financial services create many roadblocks for the poor, such as high transaction fees, minimum account balances, or formal proof of identification. New new digital financial services also face obstacles for the poor, such as low level of trust in digital systems, lack of smartphones, above, uh, certainly among certain groups, among other challenges. You see, she even admits it right there. She's not advocating on behalf of the poor people. 
She is talking to the elites, folks. I don't even, I think it's like a few thousand people watch this video on YouTube. She's talking to the elites. She's talking to the bankers. She's laying out the problems. This is the same way Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher of the World Economic Forum, talks. He's talking to the elites. You watch the video and you think she's talking to you. She's not talking to you. She's telling the elites that we need to keep in mind that the poor people, the plebs, the freaking peasants don't have smartphones. They are somewhat leery to technologies. They don't fully trust us. So if we're going to put this system into place, we face some risks. And the risks are people that are going to reject this system of total control. And so we have to keep that in mind while we are building the system while we are creating this system how are we going to drive all these poor people in how are we going to be inclusive meaning including everyone into the system of complete and total control she mentions transactions and bank fees and minimum balances in the current commercial bank structure that's because the commercial banks need to turn a profit for themselves this is why the central banks want to eventually push the commercial banks out of it or they're going to subsidize them and basically use them as hubs to manage the individual private accounts you could see the writing on the wall if you've been paying attention the last 10 episodes we've been covering a lot really educating ourselves on this system folks i'm telling you this is how they're going to do it so when she says inclusion and she's talking about the poor She's not advocating on behalf of the poor. She is telling the central bankers, we need to build this system in a way that we're going to draw everyone into the system, down to the last mud hut guy in some uh, village in Mexico. We need to make sure everyone is on this system. If we're going to do this, we need to do it right. We need to be inclusive ladies and gentlemen i'll be back tomorrow for episode 110 i hope you have a wonderful monday my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.